Welcome listeners to the Premium Investment Leader Series podcast. I'm Damien Chilney, Head of Investment Managers and Governance at Premium. Today we're joined by Steve Jarrett, Portfolio Manager of the Diversified Agricultural Fund at Warakiri. Prior to Warakiri, Steve spent a decade uh, with Westchester, the agricultural investment arm of TIAA, Newven Group, the world's largest farmland investment manager. Not only is Steve well credentialed in this space, he takes a personal active interest through his family farm in New South Wales. Hopefully we can talk about that as well. And about Warakiri, they've been operating agricultural assets for over 25 years with more than 200,000 hectares of land for investors. And they manage over 2.3 billion in fund and commitments. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks a lot, Damien. Good to be with you. Thank you. Pretty excited today to do this podcast, Steve. This is there's a lot of interesting content on here. Agricultural is um, it's it's a big topic. We're going to talk a lot about inflation as well and uh, how the asset class works in this kind of environment. And hopefully, we get to talk about some of my favourite topics in wine and food. So uh, let's see how we go. Um, so let's start out um, just a bit of a backdrop about. Uh, investor interest in agricultural assets over the last couple of years. It's really come big again. Um, I think COVID showed up uh, a lot of this stuff. Uh, People were quite interested about food supply and security. Um, I think that was probably a little bit of a trend anyway, almost from pre-COVID point of view. And then I think um, as the world goes on as well, a little bit more polarised, that this becomes a really interesting topic. So just tell me about the backdrop of uh, what's been going on with ag. Yeah, definitely, Damien. And and look, from our perspective, I think it's probably been something like 15 years of development and evolution of of agriculture as an asset class. But yeah, certainly over the last two to three years, we've seen a broadening of appeal and and a a new motivation for for investors to get exposure to to the asset class. The attractive thematic around agriculture, that's something that we've been talking about for a while in terms of global food demand or growing population and the resulting uh, global food demand, um, demand for fibre on the back of that as well. But then more specific situations like the the rising uh, middle class in Asia and the flow and effects um, to higher value products like proteins and and to... um, to wine um, and to fresh fruit and veg. So as well as that, we're also in Australia really well placed to, to meet that that demand. So we've got world leading farming capabilities, we've got good proximity to um, our export markets and good trade channels uh, and a reputation for a good, clean, high quality product as well. So um, so you've got all those sort of strong fundamentals that, that we see are really valuable um, support for a long-term investment through any cycle. But as you say, in more recent times, um, we've seen agriculture, we think, getting the credit it deserves for a low correlation to, to tr- traditional investments um, as an insulator to, to volatility um, in a diversified portfolio. Uh, and yeah, through this COVID environment, we've seen that ag almost as a safe haven investment um, has yeah highlighted its resilience has been highlighted through that that period. We've seen still good growth rates and, and good income returns while while the markets have been challenged. So um, there's all that, and, and now more than ever as a as a hedge for inflation as well mm. as you say. So we've seen, uh, I think, from a from an investor point of view. I mean, we we can characterise it as doomsday preppers as well too. Like everyone's got really interested about food, but then 
Um, you've got institutions as well that have been really piling into uh, into this place as well. So have you seen that kind of uptake and interest in uh, institutional uh, investors? Yeah, and I think that's a, that's been that development we've talked about over the last 10 to 15 years. You sort of had some early movers in, in that space and, and that, that momentum's gradually built up. Uh, now we're seeing uh, agriculture and, and the whole uh, natural capital can mm. come into play as well and, and the, the opportunities that come through that. Yeah, no, no, that's really interesting. And let's talk about inflation as well. Um, it seems to be uh, everything that we talk about at, at the moment. And, you know, we're, we've obviously got a, a rising in inflationary environment, which we haven't seen, you know, largely for, for the better part of 20 years. Um, and, and it's a different regime as well. It's, you know, higher inflation, potentially higher interest rates. Everyone's kind of scratching their heads, pulling out the old playbooks about what kind of assets work in those type of regimes and environments. How does ag stand up? Yeah, look, over history, we see that agricultural returns or agricultural investments, they behave differently typically to, to traditional asset classes. So, uh, and that's across a range of, of conditions. So a well-managed agricultural sp exposure is naturally giving you that um, defensive characteristic to, to your portfolio as, as well as the competitive risk adjusted returns. But specifically in an inflationary environment, there's there are some natural challenges that the industry has to deal with. So there is, like others, um, rising input prices, um, there's labour cost challenges, but on a net basis, there's a clear um, benefit or, or agriculture is a clear beneficiary to, to these economic conditions. So um, why is this the case? You've got inelastic demand for for the product. So mm. uh, food, the necessity to, to eat is obviously a core reason there. Um, inelastic supply of assets, land, farmland and water is finite and, and can't be easily substituted. And so that's a, that's a key factor as well. And and agricultural products are closely correlated to, to food prices essentially. So um, as the inflation flows through into food pricing, so too does um, the, the value of the agricultural products at the farm gate. So when we look at the data and we see this impact um, flowing on to, to valuations of the assets, we see that in, in periods of high inflation, the value of farmland increases at its highest rates as well um, over the last 30 years, particularly where we've seen CPI above 4%. That's where we've seen the highest rate of, of farmland value growth over time. Um, so the key then is to design or choose an investment product that, uh, that maximises these inherent strengths in, in these kind of environments. So um, yeah, our diversified agriculture REIT fund structure um, allows us to, to take exposure to, to the core agricultural property and, and open ourselves up to, to that value upside. Uh, our tenants are strong agricultural operators best in their field, uh, vertically integrated in most situations, so they're taking advantage of, um, of that product value. Uh, and all of our property leases then have annual reviews to, uh, to CPI um, and gen generally a periodic reset to, to market valuation of the asset as well. So all factors that are that helping this um, investment be a, a good hedge for inflation. Mm. So let's you know uh, delve a little bit more into valuations as well. Um, and I, and I can't help thinking, I'm curious to know about inflation has started, it has been running yeah, for 12 months or so, a little bit longer, you know, some would argue, you know, does it 
the the valuations get reflected quite immediately or are they a bit lagged? So what's happening in the valuation space there? Has is, is, is it got more to run here? Yeah, generally there there is a bit of a lag and, and we do think that there's more to run. We've definitely seen investment returns from agriculture as a whole have been strong. So we've, we've touched on that. Um, this has come from some good seasons in, in key products, um, some particularly strong commodity prices as a result of, of global market factors and and this profitability that's that's flowing through combined with a good outlook going forward and, and low interest rates has really fueled investment confidence in in the industry more broadly so um, this is then driving value growth as as particularly private businesses family farms uh, those looking to grow and consolidate um, on the back of this this optimism are, are competing for assets so in 2021 for example the, the medium price of, of agricultural land in australia rose by 18 percent in particular, we've seen strong demand and, and local competition for assets in, in traditional sectors. So your broad acre uh, properties, production of uh, crops like wheat, uh, barley and, and canola, uh, grazing assets for, for key proteins, so beef and lamb, um, and fibres like cotton and wool have, have all been the, the areas where we've seen the, the most growth. Um, so yeah, it's our view that there's still some upside to come and that there's a bit of lag in, in value in these sectors. Uh, particularly over the long term, but equally, um, not all sectors have seen this kind of headline. That's what I was going to ask. It was a really broad based, or That's is right. it, you know, there's pockets? No, there's still elements of, particularly in the high value sectors that we see. So, in sectors where you have a more specialised investment or a more specialised property, more capital intensive investments in particular, and specific markets that are influenced by different factors. So, yeah. the less um, commodity products, the products that are the more fresh food, value value-added products have all got their own separate market factors driving value there. So we haven't seen those across the board uplifts across the likes of viticulture and, and horticulture that we've seen more in, in broad acre agriculture. And, and there's still value opportunities within these cycles that we see. So wine grapes, for an example, to, to come to the wine, it's a record vintage and, and a lot of volume in, produced in the industry last year has then coincided with uh, some uh, market challenges, in, in particularly with the Chinese market and, and tariffs on, on wine products. Going so my dream China. to buy the winery, it's still intact, <laughs> is it? That's right. There's still an opportunity there at the moment. <laughs> Look, we haven't seen the uh, values across the sector correct in a, in a dramatic way at all, but there has there is the opportunity there that there probably wasn't before when balance sheets were strong and confidence was really strong in that industry. We, we're seeing opportunities there to, to acquire assets at value and think that that's a good mm. long-term sector as a result of that avocados are another example where we've seen um, really strong production on the back of some good seasons high prices and, and a lot of new plantings in that sector mm. flow through now to a few years down the track where we've got um, surplus supply and and that's driven lower prices so mm. that's another example of that cyclical nature where we we do see from sector to sector that there's still value opportunities and and uh, yeah another uh, there's examples of that right across the, the sector, I suppose, like across the industry. Agriculture is really broad, ultimately, and um, and our agricultural REIT products, as a result of that, specifically look across a diversified range of sectors um, and looking through the value cycles at robust long-term investments that um, is all part of our strategy to just patiently build and exposure agriculture over time. I suppose it's no different than building a, a traditional portfolio where you, you want some diversification in there because you don't you don't have perfect foresight of the future. So yeah, exactly. it, it, just a, a slightly different tact on, on this valuation play. Um, with 
you know, some of those differing um, advancements or, you know, rises in some of those property prices and others not so. Is there a bit of an arbitrage there where people can buy some maybe uh, softer price assets and repurpose them into to higher value? Yeah, look, generally the, the market's pretty well balanced in yeah, that it's, regard. It's efficient. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's a relatively efficient market. Um, there are a few operators out there or investors in the space looking at um, change of use and, and higher value prospects, um, but there's some risk in that, that yeah. as well. So yeah. it's balancing up that um, sort of proven path um, strong sort of robust returns with with low volatility or or maybe looking for for the alpha and, and doing something different and, and developing new assets or that going down that change of use higher yeah. value path yeah um let's slightly t- change tack here we'll um talking about uh climate change and environmental impacts um i did see somewhere that uh I think that uh, agriculture accounts for like thirty percent of emissions, and I think even in New Zealand, it's uh, it's bigger than, uh, than that as well too. Um, so it is a it's a big topic, you know, for for this uh, for this asset class. Um, I imagine that energy as well is a, is a big factor of you know getting you know your goods to to market and so forth. So. I can imagine, you know, running a farm, all these kind of considerations are, are highly important and then climatic uh, changes as well. So, you know, you buying these assets for the real long term, you've got to have a view on this, I'm assuming, okay? Um, you know, how does this factor into your assessment when you're, when you're looking at uh, sites? Yeah, I think firstly, look, the opportunity to contribute to, to an improvement in that situation and to offset emissions, whether that be by uh, changing management practices, um, storing carbon in the soil, um, better um, production systems that, that enhance that, um, tree plantings, vegetation plantings, putting areas aside, they're all things that we look at across the business, business and opportunity across our different agricultural platforms. But uh, the topic of climate change is obviously a, a key consideration um, in any sector when you're looking yep. at, at the fact that your, your product uh, is, the inputs to that product are largely uh, climatic. So um, ultimately, we're, we not only support the science behind climate change, but we embrace it in our investment process, as you say there. So while there's many sort of predictions that suggest that it's going to add risk to the program, it's it's not all bad by any means either. So um, like any investment risk, we just think it's a case of having the knowledge and expertise to identify and assess and make decisions that mitigate those those risks. So for each investment, we map out future climate scenarios for a, a range of emissions yep. um, scenarios at each location. We analyse the exposure and consider the sensitivity, the um, adapt- adaptation ability of, of the property and the operation and the vulnerability in the, of the asset and its, and its operator to those climate scenarios. So ultimately this work um, informs us as to whether a, a property is fit for purpose, uh, whether it's a sustainable investment grade asset um, that's going to be a, a good long-term investment. So, for example, where we see rising temperature or future rainfall risks coming through in those yep. in those emission scenarios, um, we then look at how could this impact the production on that particular asset and whether we can invest in high reliability water supplies for yep. irrigation to mitigate that, water use efficiency, infrastructure, um, different crop types potentially or technology to, to manage such a scenario. On the flip side though, we might also see that the same emissions scenario is, is telling us 
higher temperatures or, or uh, reduced frost risk is, is likely over time. And, and so that might be a, a positive factor. So with frost risk in particular being a, a key consideration for, for most crops. Yeah. Um, and even less rain at certain times of the production cycle around harvest for fruits, for example, over, over summer. Rain not so great. Yeah, yeah. not so great. Yeah. So where we see that, that, that potentially presents an opportunity that, that balances that risk. So we try to you know, do all the background work to, to understand that with the science. And, and there's certain locations where, where there's a relatively neutral or, or stable general impact of, um, of climate change predicted mm. as well, like Tasmania, for example. Yeah, because we're outside of this, we were talking about uh, champagne and um, how, you know, that region, you know, it's potentially looking a, a little bit warmer and um, that they might need to travel further north to get the optimal, you know, zone, if you will. Um, you own a site down in uh, Tassie, a, um, a vineyard. You know, what, what are some of your, what's some of your modelling, some of your scenarios about that site that you've got down there? Yeah, definitely in that case, as part of the, the business case for that, that investment, we looked at that as a factor. Um, that site is largely focused on producing sparkling wine. Uh, Tasmania is, is a leading grower of sparkling wine in Australia and, and really producing a product now that's competitive on, on the world stage. Yep. So uh, when we look at that with the overlay of um, yeah, potentially a threat to um, the most famous of all, all sparkling wines or champagne, um, production, then then we see an opportunity there for that asset over time. But probably more importantly, we just saw the fundamentals of of that investment as, as being relatively stable from a, a climate perspective, as well as all those other factors of uh, fundamentals mm. of, of supply and demand for the assets, um, brand Tasmania, the key varieties that are grown there are all factors that we've we've considered in making that investment. Yeah, and and again, on I suppose like a. A, uh, an assessment or, of uh, different outcomes, they, they could just move into some other different grapes if uh, that scenario played out? Yeah, that's right. So understanding how flexible is the assets is there, high-quality land, well-suited to, to viticultural production, um, reliable water resources, and, and yeah, where is it positioned in terms of, of future varieties? So moving, um, to say, from the, a focus of, of sparkling wine to, and Pinot to, to other varieties, um, probably not so in Tasmania, but definitely in other regions of Australia. Do they play around? You know, they yeah. try out different things to see well, what's working. Yeah, that's right. And, and something like moving moving from a, a, a French variety to, to a more Spanish um, or Italian variety of, of wine grape that, that will generally have better resistance in, term, in heat and, uh, yeah. and drought conditions yeah. and produce a, a stable, good quality of product then might be a, a change and an ad, adaptation to, to climate change that we see across wine-growing regions over time. Yeah, no, no, fascinating. It's good to hear that... Uh my supply of uh, the favourite stuff uh, will be in check, so uh, that, that's good to hear. Um, so let's talk about um, accessing this asset class. Um, you know, it's been a very private market, either you know uh, for the wealthy or those who were operating family farms. You know, an all-in kind of investment. Uh, institutions have kind of had a, a chance uh, to, to get in as well with their, with their particular balance sheets. Um, tell us now about, I suppose, how you've been trying to structure uh, your, your program and especially with your diversified program and you've gone down, you know, buy and lease approach, you know, so just talk us through how you put this all together for investors. Yeah, sure, Damien. 
So Warwick Curie have been successfully managing agricultural investments for, for almost 30 years now. And, but in this part of the business, we've historically been working with um, large institutions and we've managed specific mandates focused usually on a, a particular ag sector. So yep. um, as a business, though, we're a, a multi-boutique. So we have a range of different product offerings across uh, small caps, emerging markets, um, US property, currency, etc. So we've had this ongoing conversation with, with clients of, of those products and other clients of the business. How do they get exposure to, to agriculture when they look at, at what we're doing in, in our agricultural platform? So um, how do they do that with, without the kind of sort of $500 million to a $1 billion commitment that um, we see is required to, to achieve the scale and the diversification that, that a successful direct and own and operate um, investment will, will deliver? So when we fleshed this out and we looked at the interest as well to gain access to a, a broad range of sectors in, in one particular investment, um, looked at the investment demand and, and yield opportunity in, in those higher value sectors that we've talked about of agriculture, and also the opportunity to, to partner with other existing best-in-class operators as, as tenants of these properties in these different sectors. We came up with the product that a, a pooled fund that acquires uh, agricultural properties in a REIT style structure specifically to, to lease them to these high quality operators you know, became a natural choice. So mm. yeah, so that structure allows us then to offer this product to a wide range of wholesale clients um, in the advisor network, high net worth, family office um, and the small super fund space. I just can't help thinking you, you couldn't have built this product at the start of your journey. It's, it's kind of like that natural progression after you've had that years and years of managing individual sites and then the ability to, to roll it all in together. So, you know, it's it's got a, uh, a very diversified exposure through there, through a, a, a lot of different sectors, which which is impressive. But the the volatility part that you talked about, because particularly with, with, with the model that uh, you've come with, there, there's not as much, there's no real operational risk out of there. You know, you're not owning the the, the, the farm per se, you know, you're owning the property leased out to, to these farmers. So that does bring, I imagine, quite a, a lower risk profile in a sense through through that there. what What's the difference, I suppose, in risk and return into a full integrated owner-operator model versus what you put together here? Yeah, it's a good question, Damien. For us, it, it comes down to... Um, yeah, that balance between risk and return, but also income and growth yep. and, and the volatility of those over time. So um, when we look at it, we, we look at in, in its most simplest form, like you talked about before, a family farm investment or, or a single investment in a, in a certain agricultural asset. Um, that's going to give you at one location, um, one sort of exposure to climate, maybe yeah. exposure to a two, couple of different products. Um, in terms of what you produce and grow, um, and it's really concentrating that that risk to one site. Yeah. So when we build a, a portfolio and own and operate portfolio um, to achieve the risk return balance, what we think is is critical there, um, and and is going to attract investment interest. It's a case of building that to scale, diversifying it, getting the economies of scale in our operations, sophisticated management structures, product marketing structures, and the like. So that's a that's a big ticket, large scale investor 
investment, usually better suited to, to a, a large institutional commitment. So when we're looking at the opportunity to try and um, achieve a similar risk return profile, even dial down the volatility, um, deliver something that's really regular and, and also still have some, some growth potential there for, for uh, investors across yeah, wholesale markets, high net worth, family office, um, the REIT style structure gives them that exposure to, to the agricultural asset class and through investing with tenant partners who are the best at what they do, we also see we can give that broad um, sector diversification without compromising um, any of the, the performance of the assets or, or the underlying income returns. So that means that the, assessing the tenant counterparties and using yep. our expertise and, and history in agriculture to, to focus on are they good operators, best practice in their field, uh, as well as good credit risk, obviously, um, is, is where we see managing that risk is, is most important as opposed to the own operators' investments where the, the risk is in, in um, commodity pricing, yeah. is in yield, is in climate. Yeah, fair. And just a couple of quick fire. Uh, how many agricultural products, you know, underlying uh, agricultural products do you hold in the uh, diversified product? Uh, that's a good question. At the moment, I think we're uh, seven, uh, six different sectors at the moment. Yeah. Um, six different products. And yeah, that diversification's now got us in, in five different states. So in turn, we're five. Uh, yeah, five yeah. Answer my other question. Yeah, uh, how many sites? Where are we? Yeah, 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 yeah. So five different states, which it's then giving us that. Uh, five different climate zones, water source diversification, um, and so ultimately we've, we've set the foundations there to, to build that out over time. We'll be in more geographic areas, we'll be accessing more end markets. Um, there's a good balance there between um, export markets and domestic consumption, between fresh product and, and value-added products um, like wine. So that's our goal ultimately, to give our unit holders a really broad spread of, of uh, exposure to the agricultural investment space. Wow, that's good. Uh, there, there's so much to talk about. I think that was a, a great introduction to, to this sector here. And uh, there's so much more like we could talk about water rights, you know, we can talk about crop development as well. And I, I still think there's uh, far more to play out on this inflation and interest in this asset class here. So I'd love to have you back again to continue to explore this. Steve, that was fantastic. Thanks for joining us today. No, thanks, Damon. Thanks for having me.